We've got art in the news, museums selling off some of your favorite artists. What's going on in the art world? Well, guess what? We have the man himself, an expert in the art world, Scott Lynn, CEO of Masterworks, joining us on today's Money with Friends. Welcome back to the Money with Friends podcast, coming to you live from my mom's half-finished basement in Texarkana, Texas, where we make the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Saul Cihai. And I'm Scott Lynn, uh, coming to you from New York, where Masterworks.io is based. Awesome. This is the podcast where we cover recent stories ripped from the financial press. Today, we're talking about one from the art world, and we not only read them like some podcasts do, but we dive into how they affect your wallet and what you can do to invest, save, or pay down debt more effectively. And if that's not enough, Scott and I are going to have a big idea from today's show you can take with you to be better with your money. And we'll do that all in about 20 minutes. I'm super excited. We've talked uh, to this gentleman before on the Stacky Benjamin show, heard all about Masterworks. But today is uh, we're going to talk a little bit headlines. Scott Lynn joins us. How are you, man? I'm doing well. I mean, I think we're, we're coming up on Thanksgiving, so I think everyone's kind of uh, getting getting into vacation mode slowly, it seems. But uh, yeah, I'm doing I well. Know, I think I have one more recording after this. And for those of you that are listening right after Thanksgiving, for them, I'm assuming you had a fantastic Thanksgiving, correct? Uh, I, 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 I did, definitely. Yeah. We project ourselves into the future. Hey, I'm so glad that you could join us and talk a little bit about the art world because uh, you and I, before we hit record here, we were talking about why so many museums are suddenly selling high profile works of art. We're going to talk about the art world, about investing in art, about museums being in on the game. So let's see which one of our friends is going to help us kick this off. This is Scott from the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. The money talking party starts now. It's time for Money with Friends. All right. Today's piece comes to us from InsideHook.com, and it is written by uh, uh, Tobias Carroll. And the headline, Why So Many Museums Are Suddenly Selling High-Profile Works of Art, uh, Tobias writes, Last month, you may have noticed a rapid-fire array of headlines pertaining to the Baltimore Museum of Art. Specifically, these articles focused on the museum's decision to sell a trio of paintings encompassing work by Andy Warhol, Clifford Still, and Bryce Martin, a process formerly known as de—how do you say that word, Scott? De-accessioning? De-accessioning. You got it. De-accessioning. A New York Times article from early November noted the museum planned to use the money made from the sales— Estimated around $65 million, quote, to help advance salary increases across the board, invest in diversity and inclusion programs, offer evening hours, and eliminate admission fees for special exhibits. That's that's pretty cool. But they say the art world didn't uh, receive this lightly. The art world, I don't know, did they not like this, Scott, that museums are in the game? Or, or a guy like you, do you like this? Well, I, you know, I think there, I think there's different perspectives. So when you think about the art world historically, and, and all of this is really um, really being driven by COVID. So historically, the art world is more or less agreed um, in partnership with other museums through a museum association called the AMA that they they will not deaccession work. And the idea behind that is that you have these culturally significant objects which should benefit, you know, do benefit and should benefit society, and they should be accessible. Uh, to people now and in the future. So if museums start selling off work and effectively uh, those paintings wind up in private homes, then they're, they're 
gone from public display forever. So that, you know, that's one perspective. And I would say that's on, on one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is many of these museums, you, you know, I, I've had the uh, the directors of some of the most important institutions over here in my home just talking about this topic before. And, and they would say in, confident, in, in confidence that, you know, every major artist there is, they have 10 a examples of paintings by that artist, but they they only show one of those 10 because that one is the best. The other nine sit in storage and they're never seen. So I think there's probably a happy medium somewhere between those two perspectives that is that is the right one. Um, but COVID has really opened the doors for, for museums to start selling these works because the AMA has allowed museums for the next two years to quote unquote deaccession because of the lost ticket ticket revenue. Oh yeah, sure. And, uh, and now we're seeing it, right? So the Baltimore museum is an interesting one, which you mentioned, like one of those artists, Clifford still, I know, well, I've got, I've got one downstairs in my living room and, uh, you know, and that came to market. I mean, they, they actually listed the painting for sale at auction. Then they subsequently pulled it because there, there was so much pressure on the museum to not sell those paintings. Um, but if you're a museum director today, you know, what do you do? It's, it's hard. You're not, it's very difficult to fundraise. It's very difficult to have any ticket revenue. The, the only source of real revenue that you have to keep the lights on is really selling paintings. When it comes to these, uh, these, these auctions, uh, well, number one, are museums selling them at auction as well? Like, are you buying these, these at auction or do they have people picked out? Are they selling them to dealers? Where are these paintings largely going? They generally sell them through auction because it, it kind of it, it removes the board of directors from conversation about price, right? If it's sold publicly at auction, if it sells high, great. If it sells low, great. But you know, the museum director didn't make a right or wrong decision, so um, so we see most of them go to auction. The uh, when these auctions happen, uh, I, I'm assuming. Let's talk about Masterworks and what you do. You guys, when you purchase the uh, uh, your collection, do you do you buy them at auction like? Other people do. Do you do you look for hidden art in somebody's attic? I mean, tell me about how you guys acquire some of the work that you've had. Yeah, I mean, in Masterworks today, you know, we're, we're purchasing one painting every seven to ten days, so we're we're really buying at auction. We're buying privately. You know, we're we're just buying across the board. Um, but I, you know, there's probably not a right or a wrong decision in terms of buying at auction or buying privately. It just depends on the deal. How do you determine? You know, they say that a pro, that that a, a house. If you're if you're investing in real estate, a lot of the money that you make in real estate comes at the time that you actually purchase the house, right? Yeah. Is it the same with art? You know, it's funny. We we get that question a lot. So what we do at Masterworks when we think about our investment strategy is we we really just have a momentum strategy. And to a lot of sophisticated investors that know momentum strategies and other asset classes, they look at this and say, oh, you know, your strategy is only momentum. It's not that interesting. And and the reality is the art market is just not nearly as sophisticated as every other asset class, right? Like this is a an asset class that's been around for hundreds of years. Sotheby's- Wait a minute, did you did, 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 just hold on? Did you say it's not as sophisticated? Not as sophisticated. Because a lot of people, as you know, see it as far more sophisticated. Well, I mean, that's maybe from like under an understanding art perspective, but from a from a financial perspective, it's, you know, look, our, our research team, uh, which we founded, you know, three years ago, is the only research team in the art market that analyzes returns. I mean, that's crazy, right? Like, it's just there's no, there's no other one point seven trillion dollar asset class where nobody's focused on how much is something appreciating. So when you ask the question, like, do we focus on, I guess, value, you know, is our strategy when we acquire paintings to be value oriented or is it to to focus on kind of momentum or returns? 
I just say both because there's there's really yeah. nobody focused on focused on either, right? So we're we're very value oriented. Um, we're very focused on how much our individual artist markets appreciating, and a combination of those two things usually dictates uh, what we purchase. Is that is that if I'm a museum director in this piece, am I thinking the same way, or am I thinking here about just while I have the short window, I need to just get rid of some pieces so that I can. Uh, make sure that I have some money in the coffers. Yeah. I mean, in the, in the world of COVID um, you, you know, you're just thinking about keeping the lights on yeah. and a lot of people don't, don't appreciate this, but since museums historically have been restricted from selling works, uh, you know, even if you're the director of the Met, who's the former director of the Met is friends with, you know, I, there, he's still raising a hundred million dollars plus a year through individual fundraising every, every single evening. So it's, um, it's a challenge, right? It's a, it's a fundraising game. So they, they've, they now have the opportunity to sell these paintings. I think we'll see some great objects come to market that historically would probably, would probably never be possible. Um, well, and I'm wondering, period. I'm wondering because they, if, if, if they really have just a short time frame, if that makes it better for people like you to, to come in, like, is this a value, the, the, a great time to find values? It's interesting. So we we did work with uh, with City. Our research team did work with City two years ago, and we we studied this this concept of correlation. And then for listeners who know what correlation is, it, it's basically you know do two different asset classes move it move in the same shape, right? Like when public equities go up, do our prices go up? Um, when they go down, do they go down? So on and so forth. And we basically concluded that that art was an uncorrelated asset class. And we stress test that during prior financial crises to see how did our perform during those crises. We published this report saying it's not, not a correlated asset class. And then COVID happened. So, <laughs> you know, we had this real world test to see does our research actually actually make sense? And is it accurate? We, we thought it was accurate, but we really know for 100% that it was totally yeah. accurate. Yeah. So, um, so you what didn't we expect seen, to test that soon is what you're saying. <laughs> we didn't expect <laughs> to test that soon. So, so what we've seen post, post-COVID is that definitely volume in the art market has come down, right? Public auctions have not been happening. Um, people haven't been going to events as much, but we've seen prices continue to rise. So in, in June specifically, 19 artists uh, set price records. Um, you know, the, the contemporary art market continues continues to go up. And, and part of that is because art prices are correlated to the top 1%. And as the top 1% continue to, to, to gain more wealth, um, art prices go up. So for better or for worse, I, I think that segment of the population hasn't been impacted as much with COVID. When it comes to the names that you're buying, you guys just, maybe you can speak to this. You guys, I believe, just sold a Banksy uh, painting. Is that timing super important? Like, is this time of year a better time to sell a painting? Is this year a better time to sell a painting? Like, what pulls the trigger, Scott? Uh, You know what, it's time to, for this painting to go. It's really so when you, when you think about selling a work, um, it's really event driven. So when an artist, Sets a price record. Um, there's an upcoming retrospective for that artist. Uh, Banksy's a great example. I mean, we, we just sold this this uh, Banksy Mona Lisa um, for a 32% um, net return on an annualized basis to investors. That was a really great return. Um, and we sold that painting because of all the momentum we were seeing in the Banksy market. Like it, it was just going up into the right. And, you know, so we've it's been in that, the it is that particular artist. Yeah, so Banksy set a price record. There's a bunch of there was a bunch of uh, attention on him with this uh, 
this one painting that was up and coming, which is kind of like a Claude Monet type type um, um, painting that he did. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's when there's momentum behind these artists, you know, we've been in the market long enough to know that that doesn't last forever. So when there's good returns, you're going to take them. The, uh, uh, were you surprised when you sold the painting and it didn't start shredding as you were, <laughs> as you were selling it? Yeah. Every, everybody remembers that, uh, that precedent, <laughs> but, uh, Luckily, ours held together, I guess, until it sold it. Once the money hit the account, who cares what happens to it? No. Right. Uh, I noticed w- whenever we talk about Masterworks that we talk about the blue chip artists. But what about like up and coming artists? Is there really a, is, is there a value there? Is there a market there? Is that something you guys get involved in? Or because you're dealing with people that don't know art as well, do you stick with the blue chip people? Yeah, I mean, look, I would say that that, that segment of the market, we sort of refer that as to, to as you know, our, our, our we classify artists in different risk buckets. We have the A risk bucket, which is a blue chip segment, B risk, which is you know mid to late career living artists, and and the C bucket, which are sort of younger artists that are up and coming and more speculative. I would say that's analogous to venture investing. You know, it's interesting, and there's definitely there's definitely ways to make money there. Um, it's very hard for us to do. I mean, we we have people investing at Masterworks through retirement accounts, right, through IRA money. Um, we're, we're really focused on making sure that, as much as possible, first and foremost, we're we're preserving value, and then we're seeking returns. Um, but it could be something that you know, in the future, we get into maybe with a fun product or or something like that. But but right now, it's not a priority. Mike hanging out with us right now as we make the show. Mike asked, uh, "Where do you store the where Where do you store the, the the work?" That's an interesting. I know that some, I believe, by appointment, can't can't people that invest in Masterworks at least at one point. You guys had a thing where you could come and actually look at some of it if you were an investor. Is that still true? Yeah, we still have a gallery in uh, in Soho, a Broom and, and West Broadway. Obviously, that that's uh, you know <laughs> might be a little different now. Yeah, it's a little different now. Um, we, uh, yeah, it's a little different now. Things have definitely changed over the past nine months. So we we do want to um, kind of open the gallery back up again. And we are starting to lend out paintings uh, to different institutions or museums. So we have a Banksy painting that uh, is not the painting that I just talked about, a different Banksy painting, which we just lent a couple weeks ago to the, I'm going to get this specifically wrong, but I think uh, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Amsterdam. Wow. Um, so now that we're acquiring so many works, we're, we're trying to really focus on putting them on loan, either temporary or permanent loan to, to different museums. Are those insured then? They are insured. Yeah. Every, everything's insured. If it, you know, if it's not at our gallery, if it's not a museum, it's in fine art storage. And there is, you know, there are some advantages to how we structure some of those deals, because when we do store paintings, we store them uh, in Delaware at a free port. So investors are not incurring any sales tax, uh, use tax when we when we purchase the paintings and move them around. So that's that's definitely advantageous as well. I never thought of some of those fees, like all those all those taxes to move to move stuff around. Um, in just a second, Scott and I are going to have our takeaways from today's discussion. Well, actually, I got one more question before we get to that, Scott, which is about you talked about returns, right, and about correlation. I think those are important. Let's talk about risk because sometimes people think of art and they think of it as a maybe a riskier place to be than than stocks. I think you guys showed that that isn't necessarily true as well. 
Yeah, so we published some data on um, on loss rates kind of moving into COVID from our research team. So we looked at, and, and maybe just stepping back so so your, your listeners understand, there, there's, there's a huge amount of data on the art market. People tend to think that it's this very... Um, you know, ambiguous kind of thing that it's hard to understand, but it's actually untrue. So, so out of the $68 billion in art that sells, half of that sells a public auction, which establishes this very large data set to analyze the asset class. So one of the things that, that we look at is what are the trailing loss rates on art compared to things like gold or real estate or public equities? And it's super interesting. When you look at the loss rates of contemporary art, um, I think on a trailing 36-month basis, they're, they're less than 5%. And when there is a loss, the magnitude of loss tends to be less than 20%. Yeah. Um, we just published, I believe today, uh, our latest research report on the art market, which you can get by going to massworks.io, clicking on the price database section, and then downloading the PDF. But it has a lot of this data in there. You can generate lot, lots of returns without, without taking a lot of risk. John does have one more question, Scott, while we have you here. Uh, does a painting yield money to the owner when it's loaned out to a museum? Yeah, it's a good question, John. It, it doesn't. Um, there's been lots of startups in the art market that have tried to tackle this by by really creating um, income streams from paintings. We 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 would obviously love it, but institutions today are just unwilling to to pay for for loans. Now, the good news is when you do lend to the right to the right museums for the right exhibitions. Um, theoretically, that does increase the value of the painting. So there is capital appreciation yeah. from that behavior, but but there's not not an income stream. Yeah, I would imagine for you having people actually see that. I mean, w- w- th- that's fantastic. You want that artist out there as much as possible. You want to make sure that as many people see art. I mean, it increases so many things: the size of the market, the creating new people appreciating art. I mean, what's there's nothing bad there. Yeah. And, you know, I think the reality is, I mean, we, we have, you know, like I mentioned, I mean, we're buying a painting that's one to $10 million every week now. So, um, you know, we just think about the business two years from now, three years from now, we'll have so many paintings that are significant. I think it's important for them to be, to be on loan. Just a second, uh, Scott and I are going to have our takeaway from today's discussion about museums selling art currently and a lot of museums involved in that. But first, generally, this is where we have a sponsor read. But what's cool is I've never gone to do my sponsor read and I have the CEO of the company right here with me. So let's talk about how Masterworks works, Scott, because traditionally back when I was a financial planner, investing in art was difficult for the average person because of the fact you just mentioned you're buying a piece of art for between a million and $10 million. And a lot of our listeners don't have that, but with the change in laws, now people can own a fraction of a piece of art and they do it through a company through masterwork. So talk about how you guys do that and how the average person can now buy art where maybe they couldn't before. Yeah, look, so if, if you subscribe to this idea that art historically has been an outperforming asset class, meaning that <clears throat> contemporary art specifically has, has outperformed public equities, um, it's uncorrelated, then you can kind of believe in this idea that it, that it has a role to play in any investment portfolio. The problem that everyone runs into and why the asset class again, for hundreds of years has been limited to the ultra wealthy is because you have to have a million dollars to buy a painting or $10 million to buy 10 paintings. And then if you're allocating 10% of your portfolio to art, you have to have a hundred million dollars. So very quickly, it just excludes 99.9% of everyone. Uh, so Masterworks was the first company to purchase a painting, file it with the SEC as a public offering and really treat an, an individual artwork as an investment vehicle 
where people can purchase shares. And then today we also have people trading shares in individual artworks, um, just like you treat shares in companies. So our, you know, our entire approach is to treat art really as a, as a new asset class that people can invest in, engage with, and, and experience like they haven't been able to before. And people sometimes will say that they don't know a lot about art, and that's where you guys come in. You guys are specifically purchasing paintings. You track the industry. You track success of individual uh, artists like we've talked about before, uh, but also... I know that you guys have professionals that will help people put together a portfolio so they can maybe not own one, but they own a diversified collection. How does that work? Yeah, that's definitely true. So we publish the historical appreciation on all of our paintings. And then we we help people think about uh, the amount of risk they're interested in taking <clears throat> in any individual artwork. So, you know, maybe someone wants to take a lot of, you know, more risk than than others. So they want 15% returns, but, um, you know, the other guy who's more focused on kind of store of value characteristics is okay with 8% returns. We, we help people understand kind of return risk trade-offs between the individual paintings, which, which serves as a way to think about portfolio construction with the asset class. If you uh, sign up today with promo code MWF, that's for money with friends, guys, you can skip the 25,000 person wait list to get uh, first dibs. Again, it's masterworks.io promo code MWF. It says here, Scott, hurry, the offer expires soon. See important information at masterworks.io forward slash disclaimer. That's, uh, it is so strange me doing just that piece, <laughs> but, but I like uh, it when I got, when I got the, when I got the guy, I do? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, six, wouldn't that be funny? I don't know. One star. <laughs> you, people in the podcast world can be kind of judgy. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. I've noticed that before. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of pressure. Well, nice job, Mr. Lin. We'll give you a break for just a moment for a regular read. You know, you've been telling us so many stories about art and everybody out there, of course, loves a good story. Now, if you narrow down all those people who love a good story to all those passionate podcast listeners who are dedicated to living their best life, that's you, right? Well, Walgreens created a new, easier way to shop, save, and stay well just for you. It's called My Walgreens. And when you join, you'll discover personalized deals, instantly earn unlimited rewards, and receive real-time local health alerts. Join for free at mywalgreens.com. Exclusions apply. Let's go back to museums and museums in the art world. What's our big takeaway, Scott, from today's discussion? I mean, I think the takeaway is we, for the first time ever, are seeing these, these cultural institutions, which essentially have had you know, artwork donated to them, deaccessioning because of this this very unique point in time, which will allow uh, some really great objects to come to market that we haven't been able to to acquire or think about in the past. So it's a it's a short lived period where the AMA has been very clear that it's it's only going to occur for the next two years. But you know, I think we should see some some good work come to market from that. I think uh, getting to what you said about artwork as an investment, my takeaway from this discussion for our listeners, actually, I'm, I'm not even going to talk about museums, Scott, I'm going to talk about that, which is this idea of correlation. I think everybody wants to have investments as a former recovering financial planner. I'll say this very confidently. People want to have investments that are all up at the same time. And yet that's a very difficult thing when they all go down at the same time. So actually having a diversified portfolio, instead of saying, which one's best? Should I have stock? Should I have artwork? Should I have real estate? Maybe it's not which one to have. It's about looking at things that work together toward your financial goals and putting that together. And the fact that artwork uh, is not correlated at all with the stock market, I think makes a compelling case. So 
Scott, thank you for spending your valuable time with us. Everybody head to, to masterworks.io forward slash MWF if you'd like more on Masterworks. I appreciate you doing this. Thanks, Joe. This show's created and hosted by us, Joe Salcihai and Bobby Rebel, and it's edited and produced by Ashley Wall. Money with Friends is a product of Money with Friends, LLC, copyright 2020. For a list of the thought leaders who appear on the podcast and links to the stories discussed, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. Also, be sure to follow us on social media at Money Friends Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. Look out for our polls and quizzes. You could get a shout out on the show. We're well worth following. We promise. As with anything, remember, you shouldn't take advice from any of us or any other videos or podcasts without first talking to your financial advisor. These people on this episode, they're here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I am Bobby. I'm Joe. We'll see you here back next time with another episode of Money with Friends. Nailed it. Bam. Done.